Chapter twenty five, part three of the Ragged Trousered Philanthropists. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tig Hines. The Ragged Trousered Philanthropists by Robert Tressel. Chapter twenty five, part three. During the delivery of this part of the lecture, the audience began to manifest symptoms of impatience and dissent. Perceiving this, Owen, speaking very rapidly, continued. If you go downtown, you'll see half a dozen draper shops within a stone's throw of each other, often even next door to each other, all selling the same things. You can't possibly think that all those shops are really necessary. You know that one of them would serve the purpose for which they are all intended, to store and serve as a centre for the distribution of the things that are made by work. If you will admit that five out of the six shops are not really necessary, you must also admit that the men who built them, and the salesmen and women or other assistants engaged in them, and the men who design and write and print their advertisements are all doing unnecessary work, all really wasting their time and labour, time and labour that might be employed in helping to produce the things that we are at present short of. You must admit that none of these people are engaged in producing either the necessaries of life or the benefits of civilization. They buy them, and sell them, and handle them, and haggle over them, and display them in the plate-glass windows of stores and emporiums, and make profits out of them, and use them. But these people themselves produce nothing that is necessary to life or happiness. And the things that some of them do produce are only necessary to the present imbecile system. "'What the hell sort of a bloody system do you think we ought to have, then?' interrupted the man on the pail. "'Yes, you're very good at finding fault,' sneered Slime. "'But why don't you tell us how it's all going to be put right?' "'Well, that's not what we're talking about now, is it?' replied Owen. "'At present we're only trying to find out how it is "'that there is not sufficient produce for everyone to have enough of the things that are made by work. "'Although most of the people in number three work very hard, they produce nothing.' "'That's a lot of bloody rot!' exclaimed Crass impatiently. "'Even if there is more shops than what's actually necessary,' cried Harlow, it all helps people to get a living. If half of them was shut up, it would just mean that all of them what works there will be out of a job. Live and let live, I say. All these things make work. Here, here, shouted the man behind the moat. Yeah, I know it makes work, replied Owen, but we can't live on mere work, you know. To live in comfort we need a sufficiency of the things that can be made by work. A man might work very hard and yet be wasting his time if he were not producing something necessary or useful. Why are there so many shops and stores and emporiums? Do you imagine they exist for the purpose of giving those who build them or work in them a chance of earning a living? Nothing of the sort. They are carried on, and exorbitant prices are charged for the articles they sell, to enable the proprietors to amass fortunes, and to pay extortionate rents to the landlords. That's why the wages and salaries of nearly all those who do the work created by these businesses are cut down to the lowest possible point. We knows all about that, said Crass. But you can't get away from it that all these things makes work, and that's what we wants, plenty of work. Cries of hear, hear, and expressions of dissent from the views expressed by the lecturer resounded through the room, nearly everyone speaking at the same time. After a while, when the row had in some measure subsided, Owen resumed. Nature has not provided ready-made all the things necessary for the life and happiness of mankind. In order to obtain these things, we have to work. The only rational labour is that which is directed to the creation of those things. Any kind of work which does not help us to attain this object is a ridiculous, idiotic, criminal, imbecile waste of time. 
That is what the great army of people represented by Division Number 3 are doing at present. They're all very busy, working very hard, but to all useful intents and purposes they are doing nothing. Well, all right, said Harlow. Have it your own way. But there's no need to keep on repeating the same thing over and over again. The next division, resumed Owen, stands for those who are engaged in really useful work, the production of the benefits of civilization, the necessaries, refinements and comforts of life. Hooray! shouted Philpot, leading off a cheer which was taken up enthusiastically by the crowd. Hooray! This is where we comes in, he added, nodding his head and winking his goggle eyes at the meeting. I wish to call the chairman to order, said the man on the pail. When Owen had finished writing in the list of occupations, several members of the audience rose to point out that those engaged in the production of beer had been omitted. Owen rectified this serious oversight and proceeded. As most of the people in number four are out of work at least one quarter of their time, we must reduce the size of this division by one-fourth, so the great part represents the unemployed. Ah, but some of the people in number three are often unemployed as well, said Harlow. Yes, but as they produce nothing even when they are at work, we need not trouble to classify them unemployed, because our present purpose is only to discover the reason why there is not enough produced for everyone to enjoy abundance, and this, the present system of conducting our affairs, is the reason of the shortage, the cause of poverty. When you reflect that all the other people are devouring the things produced by those in number four, can you wonder why there is not plenty for all? Devouring is a good word said Philpot, and the others laughed. The lecturer now drew a small square upon the wall, below the other drawing. This square he filled in solid black. This represents the total number of benefits of civilization and necessaries of life produced by the people in number four. We now proceed to share out the things in the same way as they are actually divided among the different classes of the population under the present imbecile system. As the people in Divisions 1 and 2 are universally considered to be the most worthy and deserving, we give them two-thirds of the whole. The remainder we give to be shared out amongst the rest represented by Divisions 3 and 4. Now you mustn't run away with the idea that the people in 3 and 4 take their share quietly and divide the things equally between themselves. Not at all. Some get very little, some none, some more than a fair share. It's in these two divisions that the ferocious battle of life rages most fiercely, and, of course, in this battle the weak and the virtuous fare the worst. Even those whose exceptional abilities or opportunities enable them to succeed are compelled to practice selfishness, because a man of exceptional ability, who is not selfish, would devote his abilities to relieving the manifest sufferings of others and not to his own profit, and if he did the former, he would not be successful in the sense that the world understands the word. All those who really seek to love their neighbour as themselves, or to return good for evil, the gentle, the kind, and all those who refrain from doing to others the things they would not like to suffer themselves, all these are of necessity found amongst the vanquished, because only the worst, only those who are aggressive, cunning, selfish, and mean, are fitted to survive. And all these people in numbers three and four are so fully occupied in this dreadful struggle to secure a little, that but few of them pause to inquire why there are not more of the things they are fighting for, or why it is necessary to fight like this at all. For a few minutes silence prevailed, each man's mind being busy trying to think of some objection to the lecturer's arguments. 
How could a small number of people in numbers one and two consume as much as you've given them in your drawing? demanded Crass. They don't actually consume all of it, replied Owen. Much of it is wantonly wasted. They also make fortunes by selling some of it in foreign countries. But they consume a great part of it themselves, because the amount of labour expended on the things enjoyed by these people is greater than that expended on the production of the things used by the workers. Most of the people who do nothing get the best of everything. More than three-quarters of the time the working classes is spent in producing the things used by the wealthy. Compare the quality and quantity of the clothing possessed by the wife or daughter of a rich man with that of the wife or daughter of a worker. The time and labour spent on producing the one is twenty times greater in one case than in the other. And it's the same with everything else. Their homes, their clothing, boots, hats, jewellery and their food. Everything must be of the very best that art or long and painful labour can produce. But for most of those whose labour produces all these good things, anything is considered good enough. For themselves, the philanthropic worker manufactures shoddy cloth, that is, cheap cloth made of old rags and dirt, and shoddy, uncomfortable iron-clad boots. If you see a workman wearing a really good suit of clothes, you may safely conclude that he is either leading an unnatural life, that is, he is not married, or that he has obtained it from a tallyman on the hire system and has not yet paid for it or that it is someone else's cast-off suit that he has bought second-hand or had given to him by some charitable person. All the ducks and geese, pheasants, partridges, and all the very best parts of the very best meat, all the soles and the finest place and salmon and trout. "'Here, chuck it!' cried Harlow fiercely. "'We don't want to hear no more of it!' And several others protested against the lecturer wasting time on such mere details. All the very best of everything is reserved exclusively for the enjoyment of the people in divisions one and two, while the workers subsist on block ornaments, margarine, adulterated tea, mysterious beer, and are content, only grumbling when they are unable to obtain even such fare as this. Owen paused, and a gloomy silence followed, but suddenly Crass brightened up. He detected a serious flaw in the lecturer's argument. You say all the people in one and two gets all the very best of everything. But what about the tramps and beggars? You've got them in Division One. Yes, I know. You see, that's the proper place for them. They belong to a loafer class. They are no better mentally or morally than any of the other loafers in that division. Neither are they of any more use. Of course, when we consider them in relation to the amount they consume of the things produced by others, they are not so harmful as the other loafers, because they consume comparatively little. But all the same, they are in the right place in that division. All those people don't get the same share. The section represents not individuals, but the loafer class. But I thought you said you was going to prove that money was the cause of poverty, said Easton. So it is, said Owen. Can't you see that it's money that's caused all these people to lose sight of the true purpose of labour, the production of the things we need? All these people are suffering from the delusion that it doesn't matter what kind of work they do or whether they merely do nothing, so long as they get money for doing it. Under the present extraordinary system, that's the only object they have in view, to get money. Their ideas are so topsy-turvy that they regard with contempt those who are engaged in useful work. With the exception of criminals and the poorer sort of loafers, the working classes are considered to be the lowest and the least worthy in the community. Those who manage to get money for doing something other than productive work are considered more worthy of respect on that account. Those who do nothing themselves, but get money out of the labour of others, are regarded as being more worthy still. But the ones who are esteemed most of all and honoured above the rest are those who obtain money 
for doing absolutely nothing. But I can't see as that proves that money is the cause of poverty, said Easton. Look here, said Owen. The people in number four produce everything, don't they? Yeah, we knows all about that, interrupted Harlow. But they gets paid for it, don't they? They gets their wages. Yes, and what does their wages consist of? said Owen. Why, money, of course, replied Harlow impatiently. And what do you think they do with their money when they get it? Do they eat it, or drink it, or wear it? At this apparently absurd question several of those who had hitherto been attentive listeners laughed derisively. It was really very difficult to listen patiently to such nonsense. "'Of course they don't,' answered Harlow scornfully. "'They buy the things they want with it. Do you think that most of them manage to save a part of their wages, put it away in the bank?' "'Well, I can speak for myself,' replied Harlow amid laughter. "'It takes me all my bloody time to pay me rent and other expenses to keep my little lot in shoe-leather, and it's a damn little I spend on beer, perhaps a tanner or a bob a week at the most.' "'A single man can save money if he likes,' said Slime. "'I'm not speaking of single men,' replied Owen. "'I'm referring to those who live natural lives.' "'What about all the money what's in the post-office savings bank and building and friendly societies?' said Crass. "'A very large part of that belongs to people who are in business, or who have some other source of income than their own wages. They're exceptionally fortunate workers who happen to have good situations and higher wages than the ordinary run of workmen.' Then there are some who are so placed, uh, by letting lodgings, for instance, that they are able to live rent-free. Others whose wives go out to work, and others, again, who have exceptional jobs and work a lot of overtime. But these are all exceptional cases. "'I say, as no working man can save any money at all,' shouted Harlow. "'Not unless he goes without some of even the few things we are able to get, and makes his wife and kids go without as well.' Here, here said everybody except Crass and Slime, who were both thrifty working men, and each of them had saved money in one or other of the institutions mentioned. "'Then that means,' said Owen, "'that means that the wages the people in Division Four receive is not equivalent to the work they do.' "'What do you mean equivalent?' cried Crass. "'Why the hell don't you talk plain English without dragging in a lot of words what nobody can't understand?' "'I mean this,' replied Owen, speaking very slowly. Everything is produced by the people in number four. In return for their work they are given money, and the things they have made become the property of the people who do nothing. Then, as the money is of no use, the workers go into the shops and give it away in exchange for some of the things they themselves have made. They spend, or give back, all their wages. But as the money they got as wages is not equal in value to the things they produced, they find that they are only able to buy back a very small part. So you see that these little discs of metal, this money, is a device for enabling those who do not work to rob the workers of the greater part of the fruits of their toil. The silence that ensued was broken by Crass. It sounds very pretty, he sneered, but I can't make no head nor tail of it myself. Look here, cried Owen. The producing class, these people in number four, are supposed to be paid for their work. Their wages are supposed to be equal in value to their work, but it's not so. If it were, by spending all their wages, the producing class would be able to buy back all they had produced. Owen ceased speaking, and silence once more ensued. No one gave any sign of understanding, or of agreeing or disagreeing with what he had said. Their attitude was strictly neutral. Barrington's pipe had gone out during the argument. 
he relit it from the fire with a piece of twisted paper. "'If their wages were really equal in value to the product of their labour, Owen repeated, they would be able to buy back not a small part, but the whole. At this a remark from Bundy caused a shout of laughter, and when Wantley added point to the joke by making a sound like the discharge of a pistol, the merriment increased tenfold. "'Well, that's done it,' remarked Easton, as he got up and opened the window. "'It's about time you was buried, if the smells aren't to go by,' said Harlow, addressing Wantley, who laughed and appeared to think he had distinguished himself. "'But even if we include the whole of the working classes,' continued Owen, "'that is, the people in number three, as well as those in number four, we find that their combined wages are insufficient to buy the things made by the producers.' The total value of the wealth produced in this country during the last year was eighteen hundred million pounds, and the total amount paid in wages during the same period was only six hundred million pounds. In other words, by means of the money trick, the workers were robbed of two-thirds of the value of their labour. All the people in numbers three and four are working and suffering and starving and fighting in order that the rich people in numbers one and two may live in luxury and do nothing. These are the wretches who cause poverty. They not only devour or waste or hoard the things made by the worker, but as soon as their own wants are supplied, they compel the workers to cease working and prevent them producing the things they need. Most of these people, cried Owen, his usual pale face flushing red and his eyes shining with sudden anger, most of these people do not deserve to be called human beings at all. They're devils. They know that whilst they are indulging in pleasures of every kind, all around them men and women and little children, are existing in want or dying of hunger. The silence which followed was at length broken by Harlow. You say that the worker is entitled to all they produce, but you forget there's the raw materials to pay for. They don't make them, you know. Of course the workers don't create the raw materials, replied Owen. But I am not aware that the capitalists or the landlords do so either. The raw materials exist in abundance in and on the earth, but they are of no use until labour has been applied to them. "'But then, you see, the earth belongs to the landlords,' cried Crass unguardedly. "'Oh, I know that. And of course you think it's right that the whole country should belong to a few people.' "'I must call the lecturer to order,' interrupted Philpot. "'The land question is not before the meeting at present.' "'You talk about the producers being robbed of most of the value of what they produce,' said Harlow. "'But you must remember that it ain't all produced by hard labour. What about the things what's made by machinery?' The machines themselves are made by the workers, returned Owen, but of course they did not belong to the workers, who have been robbed of them by means of the money trick. Ah, but who invented all the machinery? cried Crass. That's more than you or I or anyone else can say, returned Owen, but it certainly wasn't the wealthy loafer classes or the landlords or the employers. Most of the men who invented the machinery lived and died unknown, in poverty and often in actual want. The inventors, too, were robbed by the exploiter of labour class. There are no men living at present who can justly claim to have invented the machinery that exists today. The most they can truthfully say is that they have added to, or improved upon, the ideas of those who lived and worked before them. Even Watt and Stevenson merely improved upon steam engines and locomotives already existing. Your question has really nothing to do with the subject we are discussing. We are only trying to find out why the majority of people have to go short of the benefits of civilization. One of the causes is, the majority of the population are engaged in work that does not produce these things. And most of what is produced is appropriated and wasted by those who have no right to it. The workers produce everything. 
If you walk through the streets of a town or a city, and look around, everything that you can see, factories, machinery, houses, railways, tramways, canals, furniture, clothing, food, and the very road or pavement you stand upon are all made by the working class, who spend all their wages and buy back only a very small part of the things they produce. Therefore what remains in possession of their masters represents the difference between the value of the work done and the wages paid for doing it. This systematic robbery has been going on for generations. The value of the accumulated loot is enormous, and all of it, all the wealth at present in the possession of the rich, is rightly the property of the working class. It has been stolen from them by means of the money trick. For some moments an oppressive silence prevailed. The men stared with puzzled, uncomfortable looks alternately at each other and at the drawings on the wall. They were compelled to do a little thinking on their own account, and it was a process to which they were unaccustomed. In their infancy they had been taught to distrust their own intelligence and to leave thinking to their pastors and masters, and to their betters generally. All their lives they had been true to this teaching. They had always had blind, unreasoning faith in the wisdom and humanity of their pastors and masters. That was the reason why they and their children had been all their lives on the verge of starvation and nakedness, while their betters, who did nothing but the thinking, went clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. Several men had risen from their seats, and were attentively studying the diagrams that Owen had drawn on the wall, and nearly all the workers were making the same mental efforts. They were trying to think of something to say in defence of those who robbed them of the fruits of their toil. "'I don't see no bloody sense in always running down the rich,' said Harlow at last. "'There's always been rich and poor in the world, and there always will be.' "'Of course,' said Slime. "'It says in the Bible that the poor shall always be with us.' "'What the bloody hell kind of system do you think we ought to have?' demanded Crass. "'If everything's wrong, how's it going to be altered?' At this everybody brightened up again, and exchanged looks of satisfaction and relief. Of course, it wasn't necessary to think about these things at all. Nothing could ever be altered. It had always been more or less the same, and it always would be. "'It seems to me that you all hope it is impossible to alter it,' said Owen. "'Without trying to find out whether it could be done, you persuade yourselves that it's impossible, and then, instead of being sorry, you're glad.' Some of them laughed in a silly, half-ashamed way. "'How do you reckon it could be altered?' said Harlow. "'The way to alter it is this. First, to enlighten the people as to the real cause of their sufferings, and then—' "'Well,' interrupted Crass, with a self-satisfied chuckle, It'll take a better bloody man than you to enlighten me. I don't want to be enlightened in the darkness, said Slime piously. But what sort of system do you propose, then? repeated Harlow. After you've got them all enlightened, if you don't believe in sharing out all the money equal, how are you going to alter it? I don't know how he's going to alter it, sneered Crass, looking at his watch and standing up. But I do know what the time is. Two minutes past one. "'The next lecture,' said Philpot, addressing the meeting as they all prepared to return to work, "'the next lecture will be postponed until tomorrow at the usual time, "'when it will be my painful duty to call upon Mr. Owen "'to give his well-known and most obnoxious address entitled "'Work and How to Avoid It. "'All them as wants to be enlightened kindly attend. "'Or all them as don't get the sack tonight,' remarked Easton grimly. End of chapter 25, part 3